I had Miller, a little bit of personal um, romance in the middle just to break it up. of the end podcast where we love to talk about some good films and some good comics and some good tv programs and sometimes a little bit of music and i am part of the regular co-hosting team my name is matt and with me today is as regular listeners in ashburn or brussels would know it is it's my good friend tim how are you tim Oh man, I'm doing great. I uh <clears throat> excited to see you guys, Brian. Oh, <laughs> I just gave it up. Brian's here. <laughs> <laughs> When's the last time you slept, Tim? It's like either I've been up for like ten hours reading and trying to like get ready for the podcast, and I've been up all night, or I just woke up, but I I've seemed to behave the same way. Well, it's good to have you here, nonetheless. It's nice to see that you're in fine fettle and good spirits. Now, oh, thank you. Is Tim's already given up the goose. Today is an Englishman's show where we're gonna drink beer and talk about football and shagging birds and comics and singing football songs. Because <laughs> we're the Englishman. Did you like my song I wrote for you, Brian? <laughs> what was the highlight of it for you? Which bit did you like the most? I put it, it took me ages to write. What? Well, I was thinking B- British, maybe. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. just all pom and ceremony, isn't it? There you go. So, yes, it's good to be back. Yeah. Good to have you back. It's good to be back. It's good to be back. It's always a thing in my household. Everyone forgets. Like, you've got to plan this shit. You know, it goes to him. Plan yep. it weeks in advance. Oh, hon, don't forget. I'm doing podcasts this afternoon. And then Saturday's roll around, and it's oh, my mum's here. Pick up my daughter from ballet. I've got to do the podcast now. Yeah, but where am I supposed to get changed? Because the room that I normally do it, my mum's in there. So oh. now I'm in my room. And it's oh. like, yeah. So can, here we go. Can your mother yep. do podcasts? <laughs> <laughs> that was she, could the do, she could do some gospel for you. That's what she could do. Oh, oh Jesus. Nah. Ah, oh. Thank you, Father. Yeah, that wouldn't be as good as my song, though. Let's just put that on the record. <laughs> Yours was a bit generic, if anything. I mean, I put details in mine. There was narration. There was storytelling. <laughs> there, was, there was highs and lows and a bit and lower. Low. And, yeah. and then it went a bit lower. That's generally how it goes, yeah. yeah. Right, for, let's get into what we're talking about today, then. We are carrying on our series of deep dives and commentary on the comics behind James Gunn's DCU. And up today is Warren Ellis's first half of The Authority. Now, remember, guys, if you are listening to us on one of your favorite listening locations, we also have a YouTube channel, which we are now getting around to doing a little bit of original content for. That's where people seem to like us best. So if you want to go and check that out as well, it's the end one shots and let's just say for argument's sake that's how you found us today well thank you for clicking play and thank you for choosing us and if you want to find the full episodes then all you have to do is search for spank media 
the end and we are on most locations but i've just forgotten the logins for everything except for spotify and soundcloud so <laughs> i assume they're still going i always have a little cheeky look on apple Podcasts every now and again to see if they're still uploading and it, it appears to be who knows if anyone's listening to it if it's anything like the other two then me five times <laughs> uh, okay so the authority brian did you have any past experience with the authority have you read any of it before I have, yes. Uh, I've read uh, a couple of the miniseries as well, Midnight and Apollo. And I remember it was all, it, it always blind, or it used to blindside me. I was just like, wow, the Midnighter is fucking awesome. Oh my gosh. And he's a homosexual as well. And it's not even a thing. Wow. This is serious. And Apollo, but he's not just gay. He's in a relationship with the other cast member. They don't do that, but they do do that, and it works. And it, he's like a Batman archetype, gay Batman and gay Superman, isn't it? There Which you I go. Think was, I think there was a little bit of provocation to DC at the time because I think there's probably some they behind were wild the scenes, film, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Was this when it was still Jim Lee independently, or was this when it was well, let's just say taken into DC mm. when he left? Which side of that do you think it? I think they've been there throughout. Wildstorm was Jim Lee's imprint. You know, well, not imprint, when they went to Image and then you had like Top Cow, Wildstorm, his part of Image Comics. Yeah. And then when it all started to go tits, he, well, tits up, because tits would be good. I am a fan of them. (laughs) Go to tits. So basically, yeah, when it went a bit tits up, he took Wildstorm and went, because he was with Marvel, wasn't he? So he weren't going to go back there. So we took it to DC. These characters are like brand new to me, so. I mean, it was pretty clear the Apollo Midnighter relationship, or at least the characters. I didn't actually get far enough into the comic to really understand the nature of their relationship, but I didn't know any of these characters or the team, so I came in completely blind. I was quite surprised by the nature of it because the way it was sold to me through all the discussion when it was announced that we're doing an authority and also that it's going to play a big part in the Superman and whether it's setting up the characters. Mm-hmm. They were seen as anti-heroes that do anything to get the job done. They don't mind killing people. And it's very much a sort of um, state authority against the superhero team, which don't really answer to anyone. Now, what I didn't realise is this is almost like a, a continuation on from the end of Stormwatch, which, which was a UN-controlled superhero team of similar sort of power set. And the two characters that are in the control room, which are basically just doing, like, uh, civil servant, desk job, camera room kind of thing. They're actually a follow-through from Stormwatch. So it's about yeah. this juxtaposition of the oversight and no oversight. However, I didn't feel... It's kind of like the Catch-22 of Zod and Superman at the end of Man of Steel because he had to kill Zod because otherwise more people would have died. I didn't see anything in this that led me to believe that they were doing anything other than the lesser of two evils all the way through it. Fact: the way that authority has been described for me from watching things on YouTube prior, that sounds a lot more like Planetary, which was, I think, pretty much, was it concurrent? It was around the same time, both Warren Ellis projects. And Planetary was much more, well, we have a multiverse, nobody's life is precious because in another reality, then they live, so it doesn't matter if they die here. That lack of respect for life or individual planets, it's how it's being described was more akin to what I'd read in Planetary as opposed to this. This seemed more of a traditional superhero team. They're a strange blend of esoteric, cutting-edge science, and then your archetypal superhero trope. So when the issues that the authority deal with are vast, I mean, this, just getting people to conceptualize the ship that they're moving, like, what? How are you going to do that when people are used to good guy, bad guy? That's the unique part. Unique, unique, unique. And there is a unique <laughs> in this as well. <laughs> the unique part of what the authority represents is they move in a lot of grey. And Well, let's get on uh, to, before we yeah, go Jenny. too far into the final details. So we've got Jenny Sparks, who is the leader yeah. of the team. She is one of the sort of centurion characters, as is snow in the planetary so she is a living embodiment of the 20th century so she she also has electric powers the nanotech lady 
the engineer. Yeah. That, Angie, that's it. She's taken the nine pints of blood out and she's replaced that with nanotechnology. It's kind of a lot like the Iron Man bleeding edge. Then we have... Jack Hawksmore. He has a connection, doesn't he? To yeah. cities and he can feel them and he can get the history. And he can and... transport himself through different cities. Exactly right. Sometimes he manipulates it a little bit as well. So yeah. finally, we have the Prophet, who is, he's kind of like a sorcerer supreme, isn't he? Oh, yeah. the Doctor. But instead of it being a learnt skill and you are the best, it's a hereditary lineage. Hmm. So, and they go from <laughs> one disaster to the other of global catastrophe. They combine their skills and work together and they, they save the day. There's Man? someone else. Oh, yeah, but who's yeah. not Hawk Girl? Lin Shu Min, but I don't know what her code name is. Swift. 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 Okay. Yeah. And it's interesting, her power set. I'm like, well, what are you doing? You're not strong. Her ability to read nature and navigate was really quite interesting and in how it plays into the strategic. Did you notice that in each one it starts with a convenient aerial threat? Yeah, because... <laughs> The first one was authority against the flying clones, of which there were tens of thousands. And then there was the flying robot army, this mechanical, technological threat. And then it went on to the, the flying insects that were coming to Earth to sort of... God. To unterreform yeah. it from God. Now, what I would say is there's a very cinematic way of writing in this. It felt... And maybe not in a good way. It felt a bit breathless going from one global cataclysm to the next, to the next, mm. to the next. Mm. The slower moments, the pauses were actually quite good. But when you only got four issue runs, I think there's what's the three or there's a couple of one shots. I think there's three, mm. four issue uh, mini arcs, not run. And I did find it a bit, like I said, breathless. It would have really helped it if each of them were six issues. With that, you could have explored the threats a little bit better, maybe motivations that weren't quite so expositional. There was a little bit of repetition until it, it wraps it all up in the final couple of issues. No, absolutely. It was the relentlessness and the expedience which the threats came. And, and they actually did a good job of expediting them to different parts of the world. And yeah. the ring with the knots. It was a clever antagony, though, with this unlimited amount of clones yeah. Almost weeks or Superman analogs that but were the, the, just the... masked because you can't punch them all at the same time. No, but however, the bit that, that done me is that there's no rationale, just I'm um, just for the sake of it, I will stamp my yeah, all right, you done that, and then what if it was like, okay, once I do this, it will complete and open a gateway to oh, okay, there's a reason, no, but I must stamp my seal on the planet, and then it will show that we rule. Fuck off. And one of the things that I certainly noticed in terms of the zeitgeist around that era, that's when there was a definitive shift around PG films and 12 films, is that, that you could no longer not have <coughs> violence because it was a real part of the world. So mm -hmm. I noticed films became a little bit more graphic. Post 9-11, everything got a bit more close to the bone, should we say, mm -hmm. um, in terms of the violence. Comics used to be that buildings got blown up, but you never worried about who was in them. Post 9-11, yeah. you'd see bodies burning <laughs> in the background and shit like that. Because, hey. So, one of the things about the art in this, in that first arc, in every panel of the destruction of Moscow and then of LA, no, that was the third one. So Moscow, then London. Bodies just on fire, careening from buildings or yeah. from cars, really upended. And that's a major part of the, of the scene setting is that mayhem of not just the abstraction of the violence, but the, the true individual nature of the violence. You know, that was one of the things that was dealt with in the MCU was both the abstract nature of that, but also, and, and then they built into the story, as you recall, concern about one of the plot points is that one kid who died in Wachovia, right? Mm -hmm. Remember that? That was definitely a piece of that time in comics storytelling for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Comics had becoming progressively more violent since the early 80s with the Brit invasion with people like Frank Miller, with 
getting used to Alan Moore in his trope. But it was still violence against, it was acceptable violence because it was against other superheroes. The escalation of that was always only against the deserving recipients. But as Brian perfectly pointed out, and you do see viscerally how it affects the people. It's strange. The art style in this is very 80s vertigo. There's not too much shadow. There's not too much shade. And it relies on its inking and the quality of the outlining, the pencils in the inking. To adopt that style, but still be able to enact violence that feels as if it could be around the corner. You could turn on the television and it could be in a location that you could feel empathy for. Brian Hitch's art is amazing. The layering and the amount of content he can fit on a page, much less when he gets the opportunity yeah, to do yeah. a, a double page spread. It's amazing. Wow. There's no white space. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And it's not superfluous. And so, it's incredibly intricate as well. The point you were alluding to in terms of, of violence, the only kind of violence you had around that time was a Frank Miller. Sin City, where it's noir, so okay. Or it, The Dark Knight Returns, and it's dystopian. It's kind of othered in that way. I mean, Alan Moore's killing joke as well. There you go. Elk. Not with your super spandex guy. And when they're, when they're punching someone, bruv, it's not just they're taking a blow. Half yeah. of their face has gone with that right. Because <laughs> it would be if, if Superman wow. punched you, it'd just go straight through your head. <laughs> It's like in Spider-Man 2. Doc Ock has yeah. his legs. He's still got a human head. So yeah. when Spider-Man's kicking and punching him, my man's out of there. Best case scenario is severe concussion. <laughs> <laughs> Spider-Man's the worst because he pulls his punches. Fucking about with these idiots. Just knock them out and finish it. That's why I rate mm. Superior Spider-Man, but that's a whole other podcast. Mm. Let's not even get into it. <laughs> <laughs> On the realism as well, it is one of its strong points, but it's also one of its weak points because there is a verisimilitude to the stories as we've discussed, but it also approaches the way a well-run superhero team should be able to quite immediately stop any situation. Jenny Sparks, I'm running the show. I'm telling you to do this. If you do it, then we'll win. She's a boss bitch. And yeah. that's the only time that I'm comfortable using that, that it isn't in a completely negative fashion. I'm yeah. comfortable with anyone calling her a girl boss. Bish, bash, bosh, it's over. But in actual fact, that's probably how it would be in reality. Mm. And I think that's what made those scenes and also the truncated nature of the storytelling mm. and why it felt so breathless is in actual fact, because it probably would be a little bit. Mm. Converse to your point i think that's what is the strong suit no matter which character is again i love the midnight and what he can do and then he still comes up against a brick wall so every character is tested and even jenny sparks in terms of her leadership that is the realness but in terms of the humanity of doubt and did you not think it was a little bit easy for him the winds were very procedural and it came a little bit easy yeah they did come easy but they weren't easy for the characters. They did it like, what the fuck do we do next? We won. Phew. In every instance, it's all that kind of chaos within the cataclysmic stuff that's happening. I feel like there was problem solving on the hoof, and I think that added a level of complexity that was needed, really, to keep it going, because it wasn't quite as straightforward as I said. I feel like they were working until the very final arc, which I would like mm. to get into in, in more detail than just our general thoughts. But I feel up to that point, I felt like they were in third gear. <laughs> if needs be, they could, and which they did have to do by the end. And in actual fact, a lot of it wasn't the physical might or the powers that won it for them. It wasn't the MCU air battle where they're throwing magic at each other. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll never get over that. I'm going to throw, what colour is your magic? Mine's purple, mine's red. Mine's purple, mine's red. <laughs> How do you throw magic for fuck? Throwing magic? Get out of fucking town, one division. It's too much Harry Potter, mate. Too much Harry Potter. But Expensive it... petroleum. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
but at least in this, it was how can we best suit our individual powers to problem solve, to work out how to. That actually comes from strong leadership. It's actually refreshing that Jenny Sparks did just have it locked down. There wasn't much contrary action. And I don't know whether I'm glad or not that they didn't play into anybody dissenting or, or, or becoming mutineer, so to speak. They played it off nicely. There was an undercurrent, bit of banter, but no one saying shit to her face. I kind of like that. Go back to Stormwatch now and find out that how did she get this Yeah, kingdom. dude. Where this has left me, I'm more probably excited about maybe going and reading Stormwatch than I am about yeah. the second part of Authority. <laughs> <laughs> Which I've, I've already had read. No one likes to show <laughs> Is she the only one in Stormwatch or all these characters in Stormwatch? A few of them are. Stormwatch has been disbanded, but there's like some other iteration of Stormwatch that was... I didn't know the background, so I couldn't really put it together, no. but... It was just one of those allow it cases. I was like, it'll either make sense or I don't need to remember it. What's the big spaceship called, Brian? Oh, carrier. The carrier. The carrier. Okay, so the carrier. That was something I really liked. It kind of took me back to, I mean, 50 miles long, 35 miles high. And it's tethered to Earth, but it's not in orbit of Earth. It's in a sort of parallel non-space. What do they call it? The bleed the tissue between universes in the multiverse yeah. and it kind of has a character it seems like it's sentient by the end let's get on to that final arc now like the first two arcs there is a extraterrestrial threat where they're coming from the sky and it looks like it's insects and it's targeting cities and it turns out there is a god that has historic, prehistoric, proprietary rights to the earth. And we are like a bacteria that needs to be ridden. We are the parasites that are feeding mm. off the earth. And this is like a pyramid, but it's a god and it's living and it starts like amorphous and then finds its final form. And it's that big that it can block out the whole of the sun from Jupiter. And... What's it called, Tim? The wait, the carrier? Yeah, no, the carrier. <laughs> the carrier. They kind of explain to it. What's the nano lady called? Oh my god, this is the worst. The engineer. The yeah. engineer. Yes, Brian. The engineer. Well done. Thank you very much. Now, the engineer takes the sort of nanotech and sort of uh, connects herself to the inner workings of the carrier. <laughs> They have a kind of conversation, a, a dialogue explaining the situation. Would you allow us to take you actually into the real space of Earth? Because we kind of need, we need a solid here, bro. And there's the open pause on this god pyramid, a deity, and pause are the size of Manhattan. And they're basically flying the carrier through, trying to find a way to kill the god, because nothing they have, if they try to attack it, then the thing of its size, and again, let's just get into the science of it. If something that big's near Jupiter, Jupiter's stuck to the side of it. If there's something that big next to the sun, it's the size of the sun. That's moving the sun a lot closer to Earth. We're all frazzled within like probably a month, if not 24 hours, if not immediately. When you think about it as well, the carrier approaches it very slowly, like it's a, a docking tugboat. But if you think of the size of it, when you're an astronaut and you're coming back to the Earth, you're going towards the Earth, aren't you? You're going towards it. At which point does towards it become downwards? Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, at which point does the... Tim? The spaceship. Oh, the carrier. The carrier! Oh my god, everybody! <laughs> at, which point, at which point does the carrier is not going towards it, but the gravity of something so massive, at what point does that gravitational pull not accelerate it towards it beyond any sort of resistance? But anyway, that's a side tip. They go in and quite cannily 
they are then seen as a foreign body inside the god and it gets attacked by antibodies and this whole cities of bacteria like hominids obviously they're against the clock that's how these things work i don't know if you've noticed this but it was against the clock i don't know if i mentioned that <laughs> so they stop going through the tunnels the canals the vessels of this god and they go up and through they keep going north nonetheless but why why because to get to the brain antibodies were coming that they couldn't defeat and they were fucking up the carrier oh, the antibodies. Antibodies. Yeah, antibodies. Yeah. yeah yeah and then they go which way should we go and doctor goes north and north. they said is that a guess and he goes yes it was a good guess though wasn't it brian it was because, it, it was. because otherwise the end of the comic would have been quite different <laughs> <laughs> and then jenny sparks with her electrical power she realizes the only way they stand a chance is She's coming to the end of her century of years. At the turn of the century, she will no longer be alive. And they never get any older, but on 100 years, they die because they're the custodians of that century. She uses all of her electrical power to the point of self-sacrifice and frazzles the god's brain. I thought that was... A very rewarding ending to the story, Brian. What about you? I thought it was well-seeded, it was well-concocted, and then it had this cacophonous conclusion. I hoped that she somehow did an Obi-Wan, the electricity took her, the spirit of the 21st. But yeah, it was fine. Because I've just I... given it a bombastic introduction, Brian. I need more than fine, sir. Thing is, I'd read elements of that story years ago, but I'd never seen the precursor or the ending. Right. So, and I also know what happens in the second volume. So it ties it up for me. So now I understand a lot better. That's what I happens think... when you read the second half first. <laughs> well, that's what we should have been doing today. Thank you very much, Mr. Change the Schedule. I'll have you know, just for the listeners out there. Who, who was I changing the schedule for? Yeah, but I had to do the homework oh. to be on this schedule. Thank <laughs> you very much. And I've well, done we can the easily homework. change the schedule again, Brian. I'm telling you that much, mate. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> say another word and we'll change the schedule again. Say, say another word. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, so, I couldn't um, have to because this was pending for like the 30th of December, <laughs> wasn't it? Day before yeah. New Year's Eve. And I thought there to myself, go. there's no way that people are going to need that week Yeah, see, <laughs> well, actually, it would have tied in nicely with the story. It would have tied in nicely. The That's spirit really of the 2023. Because they're four-story arcs, it's like, okay, on to the next one. One thing I like and don't like is that they're not spelling it all out. So from one issue to the next, doesn't actually continue immediately after. There's mm. usually a bit of time it's particularly for the last story, I think there would have been a bit more. And the juxtaposition, particularly with the last story, is this about the characters or is this about the threat? You know, of course, it, it's really about the characters. The two things aren't mutually exclusive at the same time, no. are they? With it being God, I would have loved that being explored a bit more. But again... It's one of the things that I like about the authority is that they just drop in an archetypal concept, explain it with within yeah, actually a couple of sentences. That's what it did really well, actually. It yeah, really and you well. just you just got to roll with it. Like, okay, that makes sense, and you've got to deep it in your mind whilst trying to keep up with what's actually happening now. We're not going into the fact that actually, if you think about it, primordial existence beforehand could have been anything. Who said it was humanoid? or yeah, in any yeah, kind yeah. of format we'd yeah. recognize and left the planet but in its lifetime of existence and it's, yeah. it's, it's yeah. gone for a day and it's come back like what the fuck is taken over by these humans i actually thought the films were better developed than the actual characters i don't feel like i knew more about the characters other than their base principle and their power set whereas as you very well made a point of each of the threats irrespective of the it was kind of the MCU thing of a faceless army in yeah. each instance. The, the guys behind it, I felt they were, felt I knew their motivations a bit better. Each had a personality that was distinct. And again, if there was just maybe, even if it was one more, one more issue, 
at the beginning or at the end where we could just spend a little bit more time with these characters because it was almost too streamlined because of their um, a disposal of villainy. Again, in this last one, that God, this faceless, static monolith, mm. it felt imposing. It felt like it was casting a shadow over the whole earth. And also this scale of what had to be achieved in both physical terms and in the heroism that was needed to be applied, I really felt the scale of the God with a little G. Yeah. But at the same time, it was the first time when Jenny Sparks self-sacrificed at the end of this, where I felt there were limits and they were extended or overextended. And I think that's why I particularly like this arc. Yeah, I concur. I concur with that. To expand on your point of the villains being the understanding their motivations, I remember when Apollo in the first arc was chasing the uh, one of the clones, the superpowered clones, back to base, and you even got oh, some ex exponential. Um, uh, that's not the word I'm looking for. So, um, that word. Waving this my hands around business. This no, the, this <laughs> there was a dome the, over the city, wasn't there? Like yeah, an invisible but, dome. But, but the character that was flying at Mac, whatever speed to get there, and they were like, "Pull up, pull up, pull up, pull up!" Was you going to be, yeah, spread? And the guy obviously didn't get the the memo, and he was just yeah, like, yeah. "Oh shit!" I am so glad you reminded me of this because I remember when we did Warren Ellis Month. The guy could write stand-up comedy. He has a very subtle way. It's not in a jokey way. It's almost in a conversational way of storytelling. Sorry. So Apollo's chasing this last one back to base. Yeah. And they're like, pull back, pull back, pull back. You're going to hit the force field sort of thing, as you rightly said. And then there's no pause for thought. The next one, all you see is from above the dome, this force field. And it's just the splatter of the, yeah. of yeah. the, of the villain. And it like, did make me yeah. chuckle a couple of times. And with that, comedy is about timing and it's also about tone. What Warren Ellis does, I had an individual voice for each of these characters in my head, in my mind when they were pausing for comedic yeah. effects. And comedy is so hard to write in sequential art. It is the hardest yeah. art form to write comedy. And it is so subtle that in actual fact, maybe it's because my expectations in there, thinking that Warren Ellis, while not a comedic writer, he has a knack for comedy. And yeah, I thought there was some really sort of punchy panel to panel um, kind of punchline or, or like a little bit of sarcasm or the yeah. talk behind the hand sort of thing. Yeah, yeah really, yeah. really good. I mean, one of the things that I absolutely love in any comic is when I see representation. And I don't mean that from a black or EDI or a cultural represent. I'm talking about when I see London, when I see England, yes. when I see mm. the Union Jack, I'm like, yes, get yes. in! Football hooliganism! Football! You England! England! That's what I love about Constantine. He's always bamboozling the, whoever, just because people don't know if he's serious, if he's joking, is he just yeah, the cunt? Yeah. That's my man. Go in there. Uh, yeah. And the thing about Jenny Spark, put her in charge. She's got no fucks to give. So pff, let's go. Yes, yes, yes. And of course, that carries on into volume two, but we're not talking about that. But, you know, I think the key thing is with her characterization, when in the latter arcs, when she goes, girls not out, and they go to find out the history of what's happening with these guys and why they're bum rushing the planet and how come they've hacked the carrier was brilliant. Why did she bring just the girls along? And then we learn about the rape camps. And it was just, yeah, I think she yeah, was, yeah. that showed you her thinking that if she's got the engineer, she's got Swift online. And then they recognize just how fucking dire 
the situation is that yeah. this guy that was the second arc, wasn't it? Yeah, with, um... China into a rape camp, and then they all mm. come back and they say to the guys, "We got to stop this guy, or he's turning China into a rape camp." And everyone just goes, well, it was the "Straight up, no time, questions." Just like, yeah, yeah. "Fuck, okay, what do we do? Let's Where go. do we go? How are we stopping this like mm. now?" That was that's good writing. That's mm. good writing. You know what we'd be saying right now if this was an Alan Moore. <laughs> Maybe it's just the fucking Brits that we were fucked, mate. We're fucked in the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you, the one writer I could never imagine stepping over that line is uh, Mark Millar. He likes a bloody nose, but I think that's yeah. where it. I think that's where it starts and stops. Do, it does uh... get dark though because he done some shit in the the Magic Order, and okay. he's done some dark shit in there. But mm-hmm. that's kind of horror, supernatural stuff, and. I'm like, how can this guy write kick-ass and then write this? It's amazing. But that's but that's not this is not that discussion. I tell you what, I've got to I think I have to remember the time that this was written. And probably mm. this is probably what made Image go through maybe five years of doing almost exclusively sci-fi stuff around that sort of 2013 to 2018. And again, Warren Ellis. He actually did the wild storm when they had the the revamp. What was it? The rebranding type thing. Oh, rebirth. Yeah. So Warren Ellis came back to do Wildstorm, which was really, really good. Didn't quite Yeah, stand, I love that. Didn't quite stick the landing for me, but the first two volumes of that, which is primo sci-fi. He also yeah. did injection and god damn it, I'll just I know you can't say this, but couldn't they have just made the accusations like two years later? Because why do I have to suffer? There was at least another two volumes on injection. Let him finish that off, then you can cancel them. Just come on, why why do I why should I suffer? I'm not saying the damage is done. I'm yeah. not justifying it. I'm not justifying it Tim. Don't look at me with those puppy dog eyes, like, stop taking us down this road. I'm just saying, let me have those and then, then we go down that path. How many issues did that? Uh, probably three down. trades, so about 12 or 15. <laughs> oh, it was so good. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. I haven't read it, so I couldn't. An interesting conversation I had on social media, which neither of you are really a part of. I joined the DC community on XXX just so that I can balance my MCU rose tinted housey and everything. Traitor. You know, so I need to balance it out because, you know, I love what Gunn is doing over there. I love his, his, his TV programs and HBO, he's going <laughs> to fucking, he's going to kill it. Shut the fuck up. Bound up. Um, <laughs> but interestingly, I think his disgusting film posting a breakdown of what he's going to do with the authority. And they posted, blah, 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 we'll be playing the engineer who will be a villain. I was like, when the mm-hmm. fuck did the engineer become a villain? So I posted it in the community. And it became this whole thread that was going on for days. And basically, the long and short of it was that she's probably just going to be an antagonist. But for the general public, they just write it as villain the thing about the authority if you think about it in terms of how and this is why i said they are such a nuanced team to do because they're not we're the good guys and they're the bad guys they're like i i don't know i it didn't it didn't do for me what i was expecting like i said i don't think it was this transgressive super heroics that wasn't challenging of the power structure oh that happens crisis management global impact was there but yeah yeah there's certainly a sense of scale here that we've probably not seen since man of steel that's for certain i'll be interested how it works when you're pitting them against dc heroes because that sense of scale came from the villainy from the antagony that was very specific to this form of storytelling so how do you i suppose maybe that's the only way that you can put villainy against Superman. But I think there isn't kryptonite. There isn't magic in his Superman. I'm not sure where they're coming in, but I think he's mm. introducing the authority in in Superman, which mm. is interesting, very interesting. That for me shows just how different Gunn's universe is going to be to anything that came before. The MCU has set 
their own superhero blueprint. But if what Gunn is doing with Superman, which is already on a global scale, and then you add in the authority, which is interdimensional, the carrier is a character in and of itself. The way they develop its being and its existence, I mean, it's powered by a universe, for fuck's sake. Get people to conceptualize that. We're not ready. General public is not ready. I tell you a problem that's just sprung to mind as you were talking, Brian. Mm. How do you pit Warren Ellis's authority against James Morrison? So James Morrison, Graham, yeah, what's going oh, on? Graham I swear Morrison. to God, mate, I've yeah. got fucking onset dementia, <laughs> early onset dementia. Well, how do you pit Warren Ellis's authority against Grant Morrison's All Star Superman? Those two things don't go together. If it's going to be not even a true adaptation, but the balance there, because you have one of the most almost softly spoken Superman against yeah. one of the most authoritatively powerful group of heroes, yeah. inverted commas. I'm intrigued, but yeah. I don't know how you hit that balance. But this is what I rate about Gunn. He, from what he did in The Suicide Squad, and what he's done in Peacemaker will be to take the most fucking obscure characters with the most obscure power set and make you focus on who they are as quote unquote people. That mm-hmm. the fact that they just happen to be superheroes is just the world that they're in. Well, let's look at Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Fully, specifically the way that All Star Superman was written, it was more yeah. of a tender Superman. So, making a point of selecting that version of Superman, yeah. how, but as you said, that level of it's a humanized yeah. Superman and that plays into his yeah. hands for all the yeah. reasons that you've said. What I love about All-Star Superman was when you go into his menagerie of stuff and then you see his gym, you know, how many newtons he's lifted. You get this glimpse to just how powerful this fucker is. It's, it's amazing. You can tell Brian's not up to date on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to break it? it to him, Tim? <laughs> oh, we cancelled it. We, we fucked it a new one, mate. Yeah, yeah. but uh, there's still with everything. There's bits that you love. And that's... I love the well, menagerie. I mean, that's fair stuff. enough. That I mean, not all not all opinions have to be the same, nor are they equal. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Tim, how do you feel then? Let's get close to wrapping this up and I'll have a nice little edit. I want to continue this because what you guys are describing, third arc about this god, I want to see that. And I can't wait to read the second arc. The three issues I did get to, I thought were really good. So I'm I'm excited for this. Did he say four before, Brian? I'm sure he said four. Scandalous, isn't it? Scandalous. (laughs) I just think your mother-in-law is stuck in the other bedroom for this. For this. (laughs) Outrageous. No, it's my mum. And the Mrs. Mark. Oh, is, oh yeah. good grief. Go on, then, Tim. Go on, then, Tim. Yeah. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. But, you no. know, why change the habit of a lifetime? <laughs> I want to read Stormwatch, too, actually. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I like these Wildstorm teams. Yeah. For sure. So I'm going to ask you anyway, Tim, uh, because as we say on this podcast, you can't seven out of ten watch something. You either watch it, or you don't, or you read it, or indeed you do not. So on the small amount that you've read, Tim, would you recommend this? Oh, hell yeah, dude. Definitely. Yeah, well, your opinion is worth naught, Brian, now to one that I care about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, people have to read The Authority. It still stands alone. I, I would say, yes, I think it's... There's better sci-fi, there's better superhero stuff, but Mm. in the context of when it was written and what it was trying to do, this is a part of the evolution of comics. It's a part of comics history, and I would say give it a whirl. It's a quick read as well. You can go cover to cover in about 8 o'clock to midday. I'd be asleep if I was reading for that long. I have to break it up. I had a little bit of personal romance in the middle just to break it up. (laughs) 
just as a little pepper. Personal you know. romance. Just to get myself pepped up. Don't be crude. Scene Your mother's in, in the next room, no, Brian. There is a scene in sake. there which may have prompted it when the engineer was taking the liquid off. Yeah. I would thought you were going to say when she was having some of the old nooky nooky with Mr. Snow. Before we go then, is there any recommendations? Have you got any recommendations, Tim? No, I'm not, not this week. Other than Thanksgiving last week, I haven't done much. Just because of the Thanksgiving week, it's just been too busy. I haven't read or watched much this week. How about you? Uh, no, just generally podcasts. I gave Bad Friends a go for the first time, having watched a number of clips. Bobby Lee and the, the ginger fella that's in that Theo Von Joe Rogan comedian podcast sort of a verse in and around YouTube. But other than that, it's been catching up with work and fitting in a little bit of reading as well, because I have deadly class tomorrow on how we get here on Joe and Johnny's channel. So go and take a look on that on YouTube. We'll be streaming. So yeah, I'll be carrying on with deadly class. Have you got any recommendations, Brian? Yeah, I've just wrapped up Scissor 7 on Netflix and now I'm eating into Onimusha and then from there I'm going to jump into the Blue-Eyed Samurai and I'm just thinking, but what about the actual people stuff I've got to watch? I'm just loving the plethora of anime-style stuff I've got to eat into. So yeah, loving that. I'm also reading this Fuck off, omnibus of Irredeemable, oh, which is my first ever Kickstarter. And there's three volumes. I've got Irredeemable. Who's publishing that? Is it Dynamite? Did I see? It's... Who's the distributor, if not the publisher? I think it's Boom. Boom. Okay. Yeah, it's Boom Studios. Boom, yeah. So it's like, I don't know which came first, and I don't know which is darker. But it's like if Omni Man didn't leave. Oh. Yeah. But this guy is even more like God. He can hear you. He can hear everything. Mm. So if you're talking about, oh my God, how are we going to beat him? He can hear you. It's Mark Wade. They're mm -hmm. going to be doing a film okay. of it. So someone's got the rights to. So yeah. Um, let's hope they do it before people really do get tired of this genre of films. On that, oh, I guess I could be having a super, superhero fatigue because it's just a fucking Marvel thing and it's not super. Mm. Like, they've just been making bad films. It's not like yeah, there's been great films. Is it superhero fatigue or is it Marvel fatigue? It's just mid-fatigue because it's not superhero fatigue because everybody's queuing up for Gen V. Everybody wants the next series of The Boys. Everybody's still loving Invincible. Yeah, Loki was really well received. But, I mean, right. that has, you know, there was a bit too much MCU for people to care about that. Yeah, it's just MCU right. fatigue. It's mid-fatigue. I mean, yeah. they are so lucky. I mean, Deadpool 3 is going to get a Billy, without question. Yeah. But they are so fucking lucky that because of the script writer's strike, they've got a year off. So yeah, lucky. Yeah, that is said, pause. I don't know if you guys discussed it, but oh my God, they've actually done this throughout everything they've done for Daredevil Reborn. Yeah. Fucking threw it out. How do yes. you feel about them saying, well, Kang was supposed to be a reaction to how Jonathan Majors was received at the end of Loki. Now, look, you don't have to keep Jonathan Majors. You just recast. You do it like they yeah, did yeah. with Rhodey in Iron Man 2. It's a multiversal villain. All of a sudden, he looks different. Who gives a fuck? So now they're talking about jettisoning him there was a reasonable ending at the end of Loki. It's maybe something they could come back to again because time being infinite and omnipotent, yeah. you could always just slot that story back in with a different actor in 10 or 20 years. But yeah. bringing in Doctor Doom now, I hate it. I don't like it yeah. at all. Uh, everyone's just, been going, yeah, oh, this is great because he's actually it, in the bro. story and Battle World. But I'm like, no, it's bring too him late. In. Stick if to it, what you were if doing. It relate. The only thing that's worth saying is Loki was only the villain in Avengers after appearing two films earlier in Thor. If, if we can have a reasonable... I don't want it to be Fantastic Four versus... Let's just have Victor Von Doom in the Fantastic Four and let's see his path 
Maybe he's even just um, an aristocrat in Latveria. Latveria. Yeah. Hey, I remembered that. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? I, I, I said that for the listeners. Let's have that Victor Von Doom. And the actual fact can maybe play with it a little bit. We still have a phase and a half that's on pause. But just to polish this section off, Brian. So we have Vanessa Kirby, who's around the age of 30, that's going to be Sue Storm. Pedro Pascal, as Reed Richard, is fucking vomit. I think it's bullshit. I don't believe it. Because Because. any major casting for that, I just, it's hype. I don't believe it. Nothing's confirmed. It's supposed I, don't believe to be it. Done, I mean, it can work. Though. I will say this. I no, would say it will work it's because icky. Current, you know, it is icky. But if it's you think icky. about everything that, that Pedro has done, he's literally the planet's father right now. No, he's, he's been brilliant. The, the he father is, brilliant. in this, the father in that, you know, Grogu's dad. But he's not Vanessa Kirby's father. Yeah, there is. And also, it, right, we've not had the Shang-Chi film. We've not had any news of an eternal That's why I don't believe it. That's why I don't believe it. No, but this is what if we're saying we're getting one film every five years, he's going to be like 60. We don't want a 60-year-old. And that's the problem as well. And now it might look fine, but like you can't have a 60-year-old Reed Richard in Hollywood. It's your job to be hot. And Vanessa Kirby's still going to look pretty much the same in 10 years' time. I don't like it. I don't want it. I like Pedro Pascal great actor he seems enthused by doing genre stuff we saw him in wonder woman 1984 we saw him in the last of us we saw him in mandalorian Mandalorian. so he embraces it anyway let's round it off there great being here great chopping it up i always wonder before i start what am i going to talk about and then we start and i'm like can you shut me up please but Thanks for the opportunity to give me that experience once again. No problem, dude. And we'll see you at some point in the new year and we'll get part two booked in. Yeah. Goodbye, everybody. I promise I'll actually read this and the second. (laughs) Well, I'm current form. That doesn't mean very much, but I trust you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Eat eat it up and get into. So, you know, I enjoyed the second arc. But you weren't joking about not being able to shut you up, Tim. Take it home. <laughs> yeah, bring it home, Tim. Jesus. Yes, goodbye. Always a highlight with uh, with you folks. So, yeah, I love it as well. It's been great to have Brian here. I always enjoy his presence. He has a, a unique contribution that we that all of our regular guests from the extensive NPod family. So it's always a joy to have him back on. So that only leaves me your regular co-host, at least one of your regular co-hosts, Matt. And remember guys, if you've listened to the whole episode, please go and take a look for us on YouTube if you're listening on a a listening location, which is the end one shots. And if you found us on YouTube, then you can find us on any of those locations as Spank Media the end and that only leaves me one more thing to say we have been and this is the end Okay, cheers, dude. Better. Take care.